Hello, everyone. This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to my podcast. I am so excited to have a very important, well-known guest named Doug Weed, who has written sort of the definitive book on Donald Trump. And I say that having written three books about Donald Trump, but his new book is Inside Trump's White House. And it's a book that I just finished reading, and I enjoyed every paragraph of the 460-some-odd pages. So we're going to talk about it today on my podcast. And first of all, let me welcome you to my podcast, Doug. Thank you for taking time while you're down here in Florida. And most people don't know this because I don't have occasion to say it, but I've known Doug since the late 1960s when we were both very, very young, and he has been an example to me and a mentor, and he's the one that opened up my very first connections with the White House. In fact, maybe we could start before we talk about President Trump, talk about your relationship with George H.W. Bush, because the first time I met him, you were taking him around. You were here in Orlando, and you were apparently introducing him to Christian leaders. I remember that Carl and Joy Strader were there. And it was just a short meeting, and we shook hands and took some pictures. I still have the picture. Mm -hmm. How did you get connected with George H.W. Bush? <laughs> it's that's uh, that's a long story and a really and a short a, podcast, <laughs> almost a miraculous story. So, but it happened, and he was a New England patrician, and he uh, didn't know anything about the evangelical movement. And that was a political liability for him. Here was uh, the greatest religious movement of his lifetime, and he could quote baseball batting averages for all of the teams, but didn't know anything about the evangelicals. So I helped him get a grip on that and meet some of the leaders, and he enjoyed the process. And then later on, you had another meeting in Washington at the official residence CBA, the Christian Bookseller Association, was having a meeting, I recall, and you invited a whole bunch of the publishers, and Joy and I were able to go, and you also had some leaders there. I remember there was Jimmy Swaggart, Jim Baker, actually it was, uh, I think, Tammy Faye Baker, now that I think of it, and Jerry Falwell were all there, and this would have been six months before all that exploded in the news. So looking back on it, that was some kind of interesting meeting. And I wrote about it in my new book, God Trump at the 2020 Election. And the impression I have all these years later is that that group wanted him just to say that he loved Jesus or he was born again or something. And he danced all the way around it. He talked about how, <laughs> I don't remember the exact, but he, you know, the church was important to him and he'd been in the Episcopal Church his entire mm -hmm. life. And why was it so hard for him to just utter these words. Well, it was all new to him, and uh, uh, he was meeting a lot of those leaders. We actually produced a paper called Targets, and we had a thousand evangelical leaders with biographies for him to study and to get to know. And his son, George W. Bush, became my boss in the middle of this process, and so he learned he learned all about it. When we did a memo on Texas, on evangelicals in Texas, his eyes lit up. He said, wow, I could be governor of Texas with this information. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then later, after George H.W. Bush was elected, but before he was sworn in, you had a meeting of Christian leaders, and I have a picture of it, <laughs> so I know exactly who is there, but Paul Crouch Sr. was there, Bev LaHaye, Dr. James Dobson, James Robison, Jerry Falwell, and we were supposed to give advice or something. 
And when I was doing research for my new book, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election, notice how I kind of slide that in there. <laughs> That's good, Steve. Um, <laughs> James Dobson was telling me that he had this meeting with George H.W. Bush, and Dobson was like really concerned that he was going to appoint somebody that he thought was really soft on abortion or something. And President-elect Bush promised Dobson that he would not do it. And then two weeks later, appointed the same one. And when he told me that story, I said, I know that's true because I was in the room and I have a picture to prove it. I remember that dialogue. Now, of course, I was sitting off in the corner kind of, and it was actually very intimidating, you know, to go to the White House and be in those kinds of meetings. And I have you to thank for that. And there's a lot of other things that you've done. You've actually become known as a historian. In fact, maybe you could just reel off. You wrote a book on some of the president's children. And I remember you did a book on Senator Weicker, who is real big in the Watergate hearings. And how did you start writing history? And what are some of the books or maybe the type of books that you did over the years? Well, I did the Reagan book. I got an invitation out to Pacific Palisades, which is where Ronald and Nancy Reagan lived. And that was 1979. And they wanted to get a book out. And they, they didn't have one. The last biography that Ronald Reagan had was written by his secretary when he was governor of California. So I wrote that book. Dan Malachuk published it. It did very well, sold 400,000 copies. And I was off and running, did the Iran crisis and interviewed Jimmy Carter. And that finally led to a, co-authoring a book with George H.W. Bush about his administration. And as you said, all the president's children I've interviewed now 24 children of the American presidents, more than anybody alive or who has ever lived. I've interviewed more children of American presidents and siblings of American presidents, family members than anybody in history. And isn't that partly how you got entree to the Trumps, is that they were aware of this or they saw you on TV or something discussing children of the presidents? It's a story that you told me, and I'm not telling it very well, so maybe you could <laughs> Yeah, elaborate. Uh, what happened is uh, Donald Trump won the election, and he appointed his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and his daughter, Ivanka Trump, to positions in the White House, and the media went crazy. He said, oh, that's never happened before. That's unprecedented. And New York Times called me. I said, no, it's n she's the 18th son or daughter of an American president to be appointed to a White House position. No, it's not unprecedented. And in the middle of the night, the BBC had me come in downtown Washington into a studio and do an interview with them for their early morning show in London. And they said, well, why would the president pick his own daughter or son? I said, because she's loyal. And very quickly, the president will learn the most important characteristic he needs in a White House staff is not ability or it's loyalty. And he's going to learn that. And I thought to myself that night, I got the car ride back home, got back in my pajamas, went back to bed. I thought nobody will ever see that TV show, just people in England that I don't know. Nobody's watching. But I was wrong. Ivanka Trump was watching. And she sent an email and said thanks. And that began a conversation with her that led to the book. And I was under the assumption when I started reading it that it was kind of an official biography, but it wasn't. It was a history. Why don't you tell us the premise of Inside Trump's White House? Yeah, I told Vanka uh, when I met with her, I said, in a couple hundred years, you'll be gone and your children and your grandchildren, but they'll still be writing books about the Trump family. And 
whether those uh, books are kind, whether you're portrayed evilly as the Borgias or the Medicis or grandly like the Rockefellers or the Kennedys. It all depends on primary sources. It depends on what the president says, what you say, what Jared says, what's captured as primary sources. Anonymous books will be blown away, but primary sources will endure. Someone needs to write that, and I would like to write that book. And I got the nod, so <laughs> I asked it's, for it. It's unprecedented. I don't think anybody else is a book writer, a historian, has gotten that kind of access to the White House. Is that true? It's true of this White House. In past White Houses, uh, Ronald Reagan had an official history written, and other presidents throughout history have appointed, I, as I explained to Ivanka, every president gets a, an oil portrait, and every president can have an official history written if they want, if they choose. And I want to write that history, and I got the nod, so I was very and, great. And I've seen you on TV quite a bit, and I'll say to Joy, oh, I know him. <laughs> of course, she knows that. Um, but other than and my And I saw reaction, you on TV recently, yeah. and I said, hey, I know him. <laughs> yeah, and I could tell a story about that if I wanted to. So, But what kind of reaction have you gotten? You know, the press just goes crazy with these anonymous books, kind of the worse the better. Some of them, they actually admit that some of the stories are just made up out of thin air, but they have enormous popularity. In fact, you know, being in the publishing business, we're aware that the press time has been eaten up by a couple of these bestsellers. It's hard, you know, it's hard to get our books in a timely manner because of it, but yet yours isn't. It's not a puff piece in the way that I think of puff pieces. It wasn't. But it had the ring of authenticity. Of course, I know you, and I've written three books myself on Trump. But it seems to me that your book has been handled respectfully. You haven't really been attacked, have you? Well, no, although my life was threatened. Oh, really? <laughs> so if you can count that. So who threatened your life? <laughs> well, it came from Belarus, and it was in the Russian language. And uh, you better not publish that book or this will happen. It predicted it. It didn't say they would do it. So there were a couple of those. But I'm still here. The book That's right. And I've seen the interviews and, the, and they seem respectful as you tell the stories. And the book is doing very well on Amazon. I just checked it myself. <laughs> is it the kind of reaction that you expected or has it surprised you at all? No, I expected a good reaction because none of these stories have been told. The real story of how he picked Mike Pence, which all kinds of apocryphal stories are in print that are false. The real story of the exchange between Steve Bannon and Ivanka Trump, a lot of false stories. Uh, I told the real story. So the people who are in the book and in these stories confirm that they said what they told me, and I have it on voice recording. And so it's a whole lot different than these anonymous books that use second and third-hand sources. And they're great stories. The real stories are so much better than the fake stories. I mean, in my book, there's a scene on the second day after the inauguration where all these beautiful Trump women are sitting in the White House. Laura comes walking through the private quarters of the White House early in the morning. They're going to the National Cathedral. She says, can anybody get in their shoes? And Melania and Tiffany and Ivanka and the women scream because nobody can get in their high heels because their feet are swollen because the day before they were up and down the steps of the Capitol for the inauguration. So if you can picture this scene in my book, 
Here are these beautiful Trump women with their feet in buckets of ice-cold water trying to reduce the swelling so one more day (laughs) they can get in their high heels and go (laughs) to the National Cathedral. So that's the sort of insider stories uh, depicted. And, of course, the whole thing about how he moved the embassy to Jerusalem, all of those stories, how he defeated ISIS. The true stories are really fascinating. Well, you've always been like that. As long as I've known you, you always knew the inside story. I remember early in my career, we both were raised in the Assemblies of God and lots of history there, but you always knew what was going on. And, you know, I guess that was good training. If somebody said they learn politics by learning how to navigate the Assemblies of God. (laughs) Uh, Back then, when I first got to know you, did you ever have a vision for your life that it would take these turns? No, I didn't. That happened uh, gradually, and that, too, was a spiritual experience. When I started writing some of these books, I would feel a great story, a great spiritual story about this president and where he headed in life and how God influenced his life. And I felt a real check, felt almost like the Holy Spirit saying, somebody else is writing a Thomas Nelson book. I want you to write a Simon Schuster book. Hold off. I had learned through working with the Bush family for 40 years how hostile the secular world was towards Christians and how angry they were towards Christians and the bias, how deep it ran. And I felt that the Holy Spirit was leading me in a different direction, crossover, to be able to write some books that will be published in the public market. And to do that, I had to be very careful. Well, it's been interesting to watch your career over the years. Most people don't know that you've had an enormous influence on me personally, uh, partly as a role model, because I considered you very successful early in your career. I mean, compared to my sphere of influence and so forth. And there are specific things that I can point to in my career that would not have happened if it weren't for you. So I thank you for that influence. And there's so much more we could talk about. I'm going to ask you to do another podcast. And I'll thank you again for being here today. And thank you to my listeners for listening. And be sure to tune in tomorrow for another edition of The Strang Report on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Stephen Strang. God bless you.